Come on. That makes, woo, that gets me pumped. Here's what we're going to do. We've got a great message in store, but before we do that, we would not be, uh, it wouldn't be a back-to-school service if we didn't actually pray for our students. Now, we're going to try what may feel impossible. If you are a student, I mean, honey, could you please welcome my lovely wife on stage? I'm bringing her on stage because I'm getting ready to lead us into a logistical nightmare. I can feel it. And so how do we want to proceed? Because we have more students than we were even originally anticipating. Well, we want everybody to come up. So here's how we're going to do it. We're going to have our amazing preschool and kindergartners come in over here first. And if you are in first through fifth grade, if you are an elementary student, if you could come and stand on this first step for me. If you're in first through fifth grade, come on up. Come on up. You're going to stand on this first stair for me. If you're in middle school or high school, you're going to get on the second step and stand behind these awesome kiddos. If you are in middle school or high school, we're going to pray for you. So come on up. And then once all of our teens come up, we're going to have, that's right, our college students come up and dominate this space. So let me go ahead and let's have all of our college students, if you would, come on up. You can get behind. You can stand behind up on the stage and off to the sides. Fill it up. Fill it up. Come on up. We're excited. You guys, this is the next generation coming up. Let's give it up for them. Look at this. Fill up the stage. Fill up the stage. This is amazing. This is amazing. If we have too much room, you can start standing on the sides. If you are a teacher, if you are a faculty member at a school, please come up. We want to pray for you too. If you work, serve in any capacity on a campus, at an elementary school, at a daycare, come up here. We're going to pray for you too. This is amazing. This is incredible. This is incredible. Where's Jason Hubbard? Jason Hubbard. Okay. Jason and I are going to pray. I am the children's director here at High Point Church. Jason and Amy um, are youth directors here. And we are just going to pray for these students. If you are sitting in a chair right now, we are asking that you would just extend your faith. You can extend a hand. You can reach out. You can sit with your eyes closed. But we are going to pray for, for these students and these teachers. Wow. Awesome. Thank you, Lord, for, um, God, your goodness, your love, that you, um, Lord, call us all children. God, that these are, um, God, your children. God, that you've called them according to your purposes, um, Lord no matter what age they are, from the youngest to the oldest, Lord, you've got great plans for them. And Lord, we thank you for that. God, that these are world changers. Lord, that you are going to use every single person on the stage to glorify you, to, bring, to make your name great, and to see lives changed and impacted, God. Lord, there are going to be hundreds of people's lives who are different because they are here, because they follow you, because, God, you've empowered them, you've filled them, um, God, and you have chosen to use them. Lord, we pray, um, God, that your spirit right now would come um, and stir their spirits, remind them of who they are, that they are your children, um, remind them of what you've called them to, um, God. And Lord, I pray, God, that you would use them and fill them. Lord, I pray right now that they would just have a sense and an overwhelming presence of your love right now. 
God, that that would be what motivates them to live for you. That would be what motivates them to talk to people around them. That would be what motivates our teachers, um, Lord, as they, as they teach their, their kids and invest and in, in, in give their life, um, Lord, for the next generation. Lord, we just thank you for them. Father, we just pray for all faculty members, all teachers, um, from custodians to um, administrators. Father God, we ask that you would even give them the grace, God, to teach, God, um, Lord, that you would give them, Lord, just to see the love, uh, Lord, that they would see the students the way you see them, God, and that they would pour out um, their heart, God, to serve you, God, by serving um, students and teachers, um, across this city, Lord God. We just thank you for the fruit that is here, God. We, we just speak forth, God. We call forth more fruit to come, God, from every um, student and every uh, teacher here this morning, God. We praise you, and we give you glory, and we give you honor. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, wait, wait, wait. Don't rush, don't rush. We got little, little guys. Let's let our little guys get down the stairs first because they will high-five them on the way out, guys. Way to go, students at first through fifth graders. You can go sit with your families. All right, I think we're good now. Everybody knows not to hurt somebody, so. Well, everyone is returning to their seats. It is my great privilege and it is my great honor to introduce uh, someone who has come, recently come on our staff. Uh, he is a dear friend. He has a heart for college students. He's gifted. God's called him. And he is our most recent campus director at Kennesaw State. And clearly it looks like we need to get something going over at Reinhardt University. Kellen, let me honor somebody too here in this moment. Kellen Shervington, who has pioneered some tremendous ministry and breakthrough at Reinhardt University. And he has the ministry called Lift uh, that he helps lead there. And if you are a Reinhardt student, give me one of these right here. Come on, we love that. Thank you for being here today. I know your university is a little bit, you know, it's a little bit of a drive from here, but it feels good, doesn't it? Huh? Yeah. You can come and be part of this anytime you want. With that, ladies and gentlemen, let me introduce to you my dear friend, campus director, former police officer, Davis Burnett. Wow. <laughs> Guys, I, um, I had this nervous energy this morning, and I realized it wasn't nervous energy. It's that I was pumped. I was stinking pumped to come up here and talk about this. <laughs> because let's face it, Andy asked me a couple weeks ago, hey, you good to preach on the 26th? And I said, sure. What do you want me to talk on? He said, the next generation. Man, the next generation and talking about this, this is like a hanging curveball to Bryce Harper. Right? I'm like Devontae Smith from Alabama behind the Georgia secondary. Hey, throw it to me. Touchdown, Alabama. Alabama wins and walks off. Roll Tide. Did I just, did I just lose the whole crowd? Yeah, single-handedly lost the whole crowd. This is wonderful. <laughs> Seriously, guys, I am, um, I'm excited to be here. We have...
probably twice as many people as we normally do. Um, it's been four weeks since I've been able to worship with my church family. Um, last week I was in uh, High Point Kids. Yeah. Hey, come on. A uh, week before that I was waylaid with the flu at home and still jet lagged because of two weeks before that I was in Australia. And um, in Australia I got to watch God move in a mighty way. And what I mean by that, and, and some of you were here um, during the recap, we had a panel recap that happened. I, I did not get to come. But what happened in Australia was amazing when we talk about just sheer numbers, right? If the greatest miracle that God ever performed was taking a walking dead man and making him alive again, right? Being able to take somebody destined for death and make them where they can have eternal life. We got to watch that over 40 times happen in Australia. And before that, this campus ministry was fledging. It was barely even starting. And they had had that happen maybe one, two times in three years. But we, we saw it 40 times, right? We took a team of 36, so that was more than one person per team member who gave their life to Christ because we were able to talk about Christ, because we were able to share our own personal stories. And so that was the wheelhouse for me because we were reaching the next generation. And on my part, I got to speak at two different churches. Um, both of them, Every Nation Churches, it was Sydney South and Sydney Northeast, or what they call the Ponds. And I specifically spoke. The title was The Next Generation. Same title as today. And I'm passionate about this, and I'm going to tell you a little bit more about that in the sermon. But guys, I am stoked. Are you guys ready for this? Are you ready to talk about the next generation? Because we have the next generation present and accounted for right here in this building. Right? And, um, and I'm excited, I, if you can't tell. I'm excited, like just, it makes me happy to talk about Jesus and to share it with the next generation. And guys, the, you know, the, the sermon series we're in is all in. And that's everybody in this room, are we all in? You know, are we, are we tuned in to what God wants for our lives? I hope we are. You know, that's um, it's something that's heavy on my heart because I know where I was and I know where I am now. And that's two different people. So I'm going to pray real quick, and then we're going to get after it. <clears throat> Heavenly Father, thank you for Back to School Sunday. Thank you for the blessing that you have put upon this church, Lord, that we could pray for and be with so many students from college all the way down to pre-K, God, as they get ready to start this journey for the school year. Father, we love you, and we know that you do change everything. So God, let our lives be images of what you want for us. And let our actions speak louder than our words as a church, as a community. Father, be with us today. Show us what you want us to see. Let us hear what you want us to hear. And Father, open our hearts wide and lay upon us how you want to move in our lives. Amen. All right, guys. If you'll go with me, we're going to get after the Bible real quick. Psalm chapter 145. Um, if you have a phone, it's okay. I won't consider it rude if you're looking at your phone. Um, if you have a paper Bible like I like to use usually, um, you can use that. And if not, it's going to be on the screen back here behind me, so you can just read that. But um, Psalm 145, this is a, 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 a psalm of praise that David wrote. And he was just praising the Lord throughout the entire thing. He just praises God line after line after line. But Psalm 145, verse 4, he says this. It says, one generation commends your works to another, and they tell of your mighty acts. So the first thing that David is talking about is that one generation, my generation, the generation before me, 
right? We're going to commend the work. We're going to talk about the works that God has done. And the second thing he says is that we're going to tell of his mighty acts. Well, what are the mighty acts that we're talking about? The first one that we would talk about is creation, right? Even before I was saved, there was no way I could drive or walk or run around this planet and not look around and go, that had to be God. God had to do that because it didn't just happen in a bump, right? And the second thing that we talked about or that we would talk about would be God's providence. That's God taking care of us, right? The Bible is full of the story of God just taking care of his people. And we are all his people because the third thing that we would talk about is God's redemption. What the price was that God paid for us. How God has been chasing us down. And this book, I know this is a thin line so it doesn't look impressive, right? But after the first three chapters, almost the entire rest of the book is about the redemption story. It's about God trying to find you and find me and bring me back to where He wanted me to be. Where He designed for us to be, right? That's what He wanted for us. And we'd left Him, right? The great fall of man when Eve was eating apple. Well, it wasn't her fault because her husband was standing right behind her going, Yeah, baby, sounds good. You know? So I'm, I'm not blaming her. I'm blaming the guy. That's what good husbands do. They blame themselves. Come on. Right? But the rest of this book, after that, the rest of this book is talking about the price that God will pay for us. What He will do to have us back in His family. Right? What He will trade to have us love Him and be a part of His family. And that's, impre- you know, that is, um, that's important because the one generation apparently hasn't been doing that very well. The Barna Group, which is a research group um, here in the U.S., and they deal primarily with um, the intersection of faith and culture. And so they did the study, and, um, and what they found is that in the millennial groups, that's not my word, that is their word, um, millennials, which is anybody 30 years of age and under, within that group, 2 out of 10, so call it 20%, feel that it's important to go to church. Now, that's not talking about where they are in faith. It's not talking about where God is in their life. It's just that they feel it's important to even go, right? To just be somewhere positive. But three out of ten in that same group are anti-God and anti-faith. That means the current generation coming up, 30 and under, has more people who don't believe in God than people that actually will just go to church. And if we take numbers, right, we study the numbers and we study the way history works, that means there's more people talking an anti-God message than there is people talking a pro-God message. And that's why in the elders group, there's more people that go to church and believe in God than there are that don't. And in my generation, which is Generation X and the baby boomers, we're somewhere kind of in the middle. But if we keep this going, if if we're not intentional about the next generation, then the numbers of people that don't believe in God are going to grow, right? Exponentially grow larger than the group that believes that church is even important. Forget going all in, just going to church where they even get to hear a message, where they even get to see what, what living a life with God is like. And that weighs on me. Right? There's a, there's a disconnect somewhere, and I'm convicted by that first verse. And it could be that, that my generation, Generation Xers, we watched our Bible heroes, not 
biblical heroes, but our heroes that were preaching and teaching in the 90s and right around the turn of the century, we watched a lot of those guys crash and burn in a very public fashion. Not all of them, but it seemed like it at one time. And maybe we just got so tired of watching people say one thing but not do it that we just don't care to teach the next generation. It could be that the next generation has so many things vying for their attention and their affection that a compassionate God doesn't have room because it's not always an immediate gratification factor. Right? When I can pick up my phone and get anything I want at any time from food to information, reading the Bible and waiting on God to speak to me isn't that appealing. Right? It's just not. It's, it's a simple, simple. And it could be that my generation is also so used to being instantaneously gratified that we've lost the minutes and the seconds to share with the next generation. And I know I'm guilty of that in the past. I know that's been who I've been. I know that is who I've been at times. And that bothers me. If you know me, um, many of you have heard my story. If you haven't, the quick and dirty is I was not a good person. Right? <laughs> to, put it, to put it simply, I was not a good person. And um, didn't matter who I was, where I was, or what I was doing, I always had this little voice inside my head saying, Davis, you're not good enough. Davis, you don't have enough. Davis, you don't measure up. And so I became addicted over time at trying to silence that voice. And I became really good at silencing that voice for little short snippets of time, little moments, right? And I would silence that voice, not realizing that every time that voice would grow stronger. Until eventually he was yelling at me, Davis, you're not good enough. You've amassed all of these things in life, and everybody in your life thinks you have it together. But you don't, because you don't measure up. And so I would have to go through more and more of the actions I was doing. Things that were, that were making me feel comfortable in my own skin, right? For those very short moments. Those actions caught up to me. And I began to lose my grasp on everything that was important to me. And somebody in here can probably relate to that right now. They can think, hey, I'm losing the, the grip on the life that I've built. It's slipping away from me. My history is catching up to me now because that's what happened to me. I was all... I can tell you I was there. I was crashing and burning by the minute. And in a matter of a couple hours, I said, man, I need God in my life. And, and I can tell you that God is the only thing that saved me. Because God began to reveal to me right in that moment that He loved me. And in that video, um, Andy it says, we have people that found our church by accident. Well, guess who accidentally found His church? It was me. I was supposed to be looking for another church, another Andy, probably not a Cardinals fan, but I found him. And it turns out to be the greatest move that, that Valerie and I have made as a couple. Because God revealed to me over time how important I was to him. How he had a plan for my life and he had something for me within his plan. Right? God spoke to me moved on me and let me know that he paid a hefty price to have me a part of his family. It didn't matter how bad I had been. It didn't matter how blasphemous I had been. It didn't matter who I had hurt in my past. He still wanted me to be a part of his family. And that's what that book is about. That's what the Bible is about. 
And I'm telling you that God saved me because in the moments that I realized that God wanted me to be a part of His family, right? When He reached out and grabbed me right at the right time, that was important because I was going to slip into the grips of death. I'm telling you in those moments when my life was slipping from me, checking out was probably going to be the next easiest thing. Because I wasn't going to have to face me. I wasn't going to have to face the ramifications of a life lived in such a bad way. So there's, you know, there's redemptive power in knowing God's love. But after I started this walk, right? I promise I'm getting somewhere. I started this walk of faith. And on, uh, that was starting February of 2016. And on August 18th of 2016, so a little over two years ago, I received a phone call that changed my life forever. And it wasn't a phone call of negative, you know, somebody hurt, somebody's dying, like so many of us have. I had built my life to be a cop. You heard Andy talk about it. It's what I did. I lived my life to be a cop. I trained to be physically harder than the next guy. I trained to be an expert fighter, an expert marksman. I dove into books, videos, and any class that my department would send me to or that I could afford to send myself to just to make sure that when I was out there on the street, I was the sharp tip of the spear. And on that day, I was standing in Oklahoma in my Uncle Glenn's front yard. He just passed last week, but I'm standing there in this recruiter from Cobb County, Georgia. I had moved here in July to be a cop right here in Cobb County. And this recruiter calls me and says, hey, I'm sorry to tell you this, but we're not going to hire you. And not only are you suspended for a short period of time, but you are indefinitely suspended from our list. We will never hire you. And probably nobody in Cobb County. None of the municipalities because we share information. And I'm going to tell you that I knew why. Instantly I, I knew why. I, had, I knew the reason. It's because I had been very upfront and open about my addiction. My actions. The things that I had done in my life. And that was the first time in my life that I had been honest with somebody like a recruiter. So that felt freeing, right? But in that moment, the thing that I had built my life for had just been removed from me. And I was stunned. First person I tried to call was Valerie. Um, she didn't answer the phone. So I literally sent a 911 text to Pastor Andy. Literally, 911, call me. And in between phone calls and then Andy coming to... Uh, or just me starting to tell Andy what happened, man, I began to feel God move on my life. And what God was telling me was, hey, you're going to be okay because now I have a plan for you. Hey, I know that you've designed this thing, but I'm taking that from you and I'm going to give you this. And the words that came to me in that moment, and this was exactly what I told Andy, is it's okay, Andy. God is just repurposing the lion. He didn't take my intensity from me. He didn't take my passion from me. He didn't take my just ability to just go and do. But what he did was he took the reasons I was passionate. And he gave me something else to strive for. And in that moment when I said that to Andy and then just a couple of minutes later I, was, I said the same thing to Valerie when she called me back. I didn't use this word 
But what I was saying to God was, yes, God. God, yes, I'm going to lean into you and I'm going to quit trying to put faith in my own hands that have failed me so many times. Yes, God, I'm going to lean into you because I want to love you more and I want to trust in your word and who you are and what you have for me. Yes, God, I want to talk about Jesus with anybody that will listen and even those that won't. Because, Jesus, I know that you've changed my heart. I said yes, God, to doing whatever God wanted me to do because I truly believed in the transformative power of who Jesus was in my life. It was slipping from me. My life was slipping from me. I literally was going to just check out and give it up because I didn't want to face myself. And in a matter of days, I changed my whole attitude. I didn't change it. God changed it. And I got put on this mission. And I don't even know what the mission is. I just keep saying yes to God. Right? I heard this pastor once say, he said, if you don't hear a definitive no, then the answer is yes. And I just keep saying yes. Right? And next thing I know, I'm driving to a college conference, and then I'm going to Australia, and then I'm the campus director at Kennesaw State. Right? Come on. But that's, you know, that's just saying yes to God, because I believe in who He is. And I know not everybody's called to be a pastor. Not everybody's called to be a preacher and a teacher. But everybody who believes in Jesus, who is sitting in this room, has a story. Everybody who is sitting here knows the moment that they went from that life to the life that they're in right now. I don't care if you've been a Christian since you were age 8. At some point you slipped away and you had to get connected again. I know I'm not wrong in that. Everybody has a moment. And that moment is important to you and that moment is going to be important to somebody else. All you have to do is trust God. You don't have to come up with great words. You don't have to be a fantastic speaker. You just have to be passionate about who Jesus is in your life. And when you do that, you're all in. You are there. You're connected. You're doing what God wants you to do. Right? And Okay, sorry. Got ahead of myself. We're going to turn to the book of Acts now. Guys, it's... It's not something that we do. It's a life that we lead. And Jesus, um, in the book of Acts chapter 1, Jesus is about to go back to heaven. And this is one of the, the last things that I'm pretty sure he shares with his disciples. Right? And this isn't a request. It's not an ask from Jesus. This isn't something that Jesus is, is, um, is suggesting. Right? Jesus is telling us, how we're supposed to live our lives as he's talking to the 11 disciples who are left. And he's in this room with them and the disciples are like, Jesus, did you come back to claim your day? He's like, don't worry about that. They're like, but Jesus, is today the day? No, don't worry about that. I'll let you know. But between now and then, I need you to do something for me. Because I only got to speak to a couple thousand. When we go to verse 8, what Jesus says is, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you. And you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all of Judea, Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. Jesus calls us witnesses. As in somebody who has a personal point of view in something. Right? That's, the witness is a, um, a person who has a personal account of what happened. In my life, in your life, if you believe in Jesus, you have a personal account of switching from dark to light, 
Every single one of us. Some of us, multiple, multiple moments where we can go along and say, wow, Jesus changed me here. Wow, God pulled me out of this. Wow, God, thank you. Wow, Holy Spirit, thanks for leading me. Wow, and wow, and wow. Because God keeps doing that in my life, so I know I'm not the only one. Right? And then, God, and then Jesus says, listen, you're going to be my witnesses to the ends of the earth. And when we talk about the ends of the earth, that's everybody. And if we listen to that first verse I read, one generation to the next, and we listen to the numbers from the Barna group where they say there's more people who don't believe in God than those that even go to church, then we need to be intentional about reaching the next generation. And that's why I'm so motivated by this. Because I have to be intentional. This is something that I have to do. Something that I must do. That's the burning desire on my heart. But if Jesus changed you, and you feel that way, then you're going to feel a little bit like that too. You might not be as vocal as Davis. Most people aren't. Right? But you're going to want to share that moment in your life that changed you. Guys, turn with me to 2 Timothy now. This is a, a book that the Apostle Paul wrote to a 19-year-old college student, a disciple of his, by many to still be considered a child. Right? And he's writing this letter out. He's, he's at the close of his life now. And in 2 Timothy chapter 2, verse 1 and 2, he says, You then, my son... Be strong in the grace that is in Christ Jesus. And the things that you have heard me say in the presence of many witnesses, entrust to reliable people who will also be qualified to teach others. Timothy, my son, you've been with me. You've heard me talk about Jesus. You've seen many miracles. You've seen people change their lives. You have the knowledge. And I know you're only 19. But I need you to entrust that to somebody else. And that reliable person that Paul's talking about is anybody who's receptive to hear the gospel of Jesus Christ. And once that person hears and responds to the gospel of Jesus Christ, now they're qualified to go do the same thing. They don't have to be eloquent. They don't have to be all-knowing of the Bible. They just have to know and love Jesus and say, Hey, I want to share with you what changed in my life. But Davis, how do I do that? I'm sitting in this church. How do I share? How do I go to the next generation, Davis? Well, Michael talked about half my sermon away. Right? If you're a college student and you know Jesus changed your life, then you make time to have relationships with people who don't know Him. If you're not a college student and you're an adult or a college student, really, you can go back to your old high school. You can go to the schools where your children are. We can start to make inroads by having positive influence clubs, high schools, junior highs, universities where there's not a campus ministry. And as we teach people, you know, a positive life, it doesn't have to be super Christian on the outside, but as we're positive people and they see that we are living differently than the world around them, they're going to want to know what makes us different. Why are we different? Why do you do the things you do? Why do you seem happy when there's no reason to be happy? Why are you thankful all the time? And in that moment, we get to share what makes us thankful. Well, if you knew who I was yesterday, 
who I am today, you'd know why I'm thankful. Right? You would understand that. And then they would say, hey, I want what you have. And when they say, hey, I want what you have, then they start to live their life differently. And guess what happens when they start talking to somebody else? I'm blessed to be named as the campus director at Kennesaw State University. I'm blessed because it is a thriving campus ministry where Jesus is changing lives weekly. I have two passionate campus missionaries in Catherine and Michael Phillips who love people and they have a broken heart for the people that are broken in front of them. And Michael said it best, right? If you want to be involved, we need help being a mentor to people. We need help being a support for people or discipling others. Kellen has started this campus missionary work on Reinhardt University totally on his own accord. Nobody asked him to do that. He just said, hey, God, what do you want me to do? And God said something. He said, yes, God, I'm going to do this. And now it's a thriving. I mean, how many people from Reinhardt? Raise your hands. Wow. Kidding me? He did that by himself. And I want to get plugged into that. And when I get plugged into that, if you want to be plugged into that, come find me or Andy. We'll help you get figured out how to do that. Kellen needs help on that campus, right? They want people, this generation wants people to spend time with. They want to know how they can live their life a better way and they don't end up in the same thrashed out, crashed out, burned out lives that they see so many people in my generation living. Right? They don't have an identity yet. What is this, what, how is this generation going to be marked? Well, if we do what we're supposed to do and we share the gospel with the next generation, then it's going to be marked with positivity. Yesterday I was in Stone Mountain, Georgia, and there was a thing called the One Race Movement. It was One Race Day. And this is a group within here in Atlanta that brought um, different races, different denominations, and different cultures together under the blood of Jesus to talk about that we could have racial reconciliation. And if we share the gospel and we live the gospel out, Right? We do that well in this church, but if we do that with people who don't go to this church, if we do that with people who are outside of our normal sphere of influence, guess what? That next generation is going to be marked as a generation who changed the way America looked and acted towards each other. Because we're doing what Jesus called us to do, and that was to love each other like He loves us. And that's important. I think that's super important because these are going to be the next presidents, the next police officers, the next doctors, Teachers, you know, John Piper says um, that it's necessary to our faithful gospel ministry. I'm sorry. Necessary to our faithful gospel ministry is an investment in the gospel ministry that will come after ours. So he says it's necessary. It's a must. It has to happen. It's imperative. Davis, do not skip this step in what you're doing in your ministry. You there of this generation, do not skip this step. And then he says we have to invest, which is the act of devoting time, effort, and energy to this undertaking with the expectation of a worthwhile result. Imperative. Must happen. Don't skip this step. Put a little work into it. 
and know that something good is going to come out of it. Amen? Church, John Piper didn't mention his words. He said that it was going to take us the time that is the investment and the attitude that it has to be done in order to make it work. Paul wasn't shy when he told Timothy what needs to be done. Jesus wasn't shy in his expectations of us. He didn't ask us, so you will be my witnesses everywhere to the ends of the earth. High Point Church belongs to an organization called Every Nation. And it is our duty, it is our mission, our global mission to reach every nation. And we do so not because we were commanded to, not because it's the chic thing to do, right? We reach out to the next generation, not because David said we should, not because of what Paul wrote, but we do it with the understanding, the knowledge of, and because we live our lives in such a manner that we fully believe that Jesus changes everything. In a few moments, Pastor Andy's going to come up here and he's going to dismiss us to go outside. We're going to have water baptisms today. And as far as I know, everybody being baptized is from this next generation. And if a baptism is a confession of a clear conscience before God, then this is people from the next generation saying, I want to tell you, I want to proclaim that I am different than those around me. That I was one person yesterday, but I'm no longer, and I'm a new person today. And they're doing so feeling in their heart, knowing in their minds, breathing deep in their soul that Jesus changes everything. And that's a reason to celebrate. That's what we came here to do today, was to celebrate a king and a Lord who changes everything.